beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves, and the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I spend my lunch breaks with the Real Housewives. (laughs) Every weekday when I take my break from work, I heat up some leftovers and I watch one of the Real Housewives shows. My favorite cities are New York and Beverly Hills and Atlanta, in that order, if you must know. It is a part of my workday rhythm, and I make no apologies for it. In fact, my blog that I started way back in 2010, it was called Hollywood Housewife as a cheeky nod to the Real Housewife franchise. But over the years, as I've gone through phases of fascination and disgust and watched the popularity of huge reality shows that seem to take culture by storm, I have asked myself, why do smart people love dumb TV? Like, what is it that we're drawn to? Why do we get so sucked into the drama of a bunch of people that we've never even met? Today, we are going to explore just that, at least in as much as we can fit into an hour conversation, since as we processed through this, I realized that this topic is even bigger than I imagined. And it would be a great one to take to your friends as a layered conversation starter. Just toss this out at your next girls' dinner or something. 
My guest today is the perfect person to talk about reality TV with. Matt Marr is the co-host of the Reality Gaze podcast, a show where he and his co-host, Jake, who he talks about a little bit in this episode, they recap and give commentary on various reality shows. And it was ranked by Screen Rant as the number one reality podcast that everyone should be listening to back in 2020. Matt is a successful commercial actor, improv actor. He has produced content for TBS. He has performed stand-up all over the West Coast. He is a contributing host on Portland Afternoon Live. Matt also happens to be from my hometown in Oklahoma, and we are the same age, and we have both been in Los Angeles for 20 plus years. But by strange circumstances, we didn't even meet until this year when he awesomely came to one of my book events last spring. So fun. I knew I wanted to have him on the show. In this episode, Matt and I talk about our history, our personal history of reality TV watching starting with the early days of the real world. We also talk about how we think reality TV has changed our culture, why we're so invested in the lives of these reality TV personas, and so much more. We talked for over an hour, and we didn't even scratch the surface of all that we could have discussed. And in fact, there is an extended cut of this episode over in Secret Stuff this week. Secret Stuff is my Patreon community where members get bonus episodes and two monthly Zoom meetings with me, a book club, extended cut episodes like this one, and more. And so this week on the extended cut episode, you will hear Matt and I talk more about our shared Oklahoma roots. We talk about Matt's personal life a little bit, including his painful coming out story. We also talked about how he ended up in Los Angeles. Also this week, I'm going to do a personal episode over at Secret Stuff, diving deeper into my time working in reality TV when I first moved to Los Angeles, because that experience working in reality TV, it definitely affected the way that I view this topic. And I ended up not getting much into it in this conversation with Matt. So if you want to join Secret Stuff to hear all of that and more, go to lauratremaine.com slash secret stuff. Free trials are available. And now to my conversation with Reality Gaze co-host Matt Marr, where we attempt to unpack the question, why do smart people love dumb TV? Matt, welcome to 10 Things to Tell You. Thank you for having me, Laura. This is... This is... Way, way overdue. It is. Way overdue. Way overdue. Because listeners, my guest today, Matt Marr, we grew up in the same teeny tiny Oklahoma (laughs) hometown. And we've both lived in Los Angeles for 20 years. And we did not meet until this year. Didn't until this year. We were country mouses that came to the city, girl. (laughs) Looking for that piece of cheese. (laughs) So we're talking about reality TV today because that's the focus of your podcast. And Mm -hmm. then that's just something that I've been really wanting to explore a little bit more here because I just did my social media challenge one day HH where I share. I know, and I meant to do it. And I saw it at like 3 p.m. And I went, well, crap. (laughs) I I just, I even saw it. and I was going to do it with you. That's what everybody says. I know. I should have set an alarm. But, I, you know, you share your whole day. I shared my whole day. And one of the things that has not changed from my day that I've been sharing for 11 years is that I eat lunch every day, take a break from my work, and I eat lunch, and I watch Real Housewives. Mm. It is literally my weekday routine. It's one of my favorite parts of the day. Yes. And I've Lisa tried Barlow to- Lisa Barlow says, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. 
I've tried to like wean myself off of it. I've tried to watch scripted during that time. I've tried to, you know, do something else. And I'm like, no, this is a way that I unwind. This is eye candy for me because the piece of Real Housewives that I like is that it's pretty people doing pretty things in pretty places. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just very... It's like Selling Sunset on Netflix. I love that show. So mindless. Just, just candy. But just candy, which mm-hmm. I like in the middle of my day. And I'm like, why do so many smart people like to watch these dumb shows? Because they are objectively dumb. Yes. Yes, they are. Well, I would argue and say, and we got into, also we got into, I just a shout out, one of my very best friends from improv days, a guy named Ronnie, he and his buddy Ben, they're two gay best friends and they have a show called Watch What Crappens. So if you're one, we don't cover a lot of Bravo, but if you're into Bravo and Housewives, they're your guys. And he started this, and they're a huge, huge podcast. But he's the one that said, you should kind of get into this realm. And, but we've talked about this before. This really what I, and I think maybe I noticed it just being a gay man. And, and like I thought about, you know, I, when we were talking about this earlier, I moved to Oklahoma for like a year to take care of my dad when he was sick. And all kind of the only thing I could watch was RuPaul's Drag Race. I just, and reality TV, like that was it. I didn't want to watch fiction. I didn't because our lives are dramatic. We have drama in our lives and I needed just escapism. I knew stuff where the stakes weren't so high. And also, especially with Housewives, I think that's different than like 90 Day Fiance, which is more docuseries and you have those those kind of cringe moments. And Housewives, it's camp. Mm-hmm. It really is this campiness. It is, And when I say camp, I mean that they're... Even though it's dramatic and they're playing, it's almost like you feel like at any moment, like Lisa Renna will just look right at the camera and wink at you. Yeah. And to just say, hey, I'm in on this too. And I think that's what we, that's what smart people love because they, I think we love it. That's what I love about Drag Race is that if we can't kind of make it fun of ourselves and, and wink at ourselves and realize all of this these things we're doing in life, it's all constructed. It's all made up. It's all, it's not, is it really that real? We're creating something from nothing. And I think that's what, especially with housewives, that's what is fascinating. And these women, especially that are highly intelligent, that are working their butts off, whether it's at their corporate job or at home or that are, they're just, they like you just, I think you perfectly explained it. You need to turn your brain off in a way, but also feel like, but in a weird way, especially with housewives, like, I don't know why I relate to Meredith Marks. Nothing about Meredith Marks, Marks should be relatable to me. Nothing. Like we have nothing in common, but, or like even Heather Gay, I'm like, oh, I get you. I bet you would get me. Mm -hmm. Well, I also don't want to have to think too hard. So like, I like prestige TV. Succession was an amazing Mm -hmm. series. But you have to think when you're watching those shows, you have to catch the dialogue. You have to be like, you can't fold laundry. You can't do these things. You have to like, think about, are they foreshadowing a future thing that's happening? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the story arc Mm -hmm. here? You're like really invested. Yeah. It's like, Reading, which, you know, with reading, you just have to pay a different level of attention. And I kind of feel like with these shows, 
especially ongoing series shows like Housewives with like a cast that will go from season to season. It's sort of the modern day Young and the Restless, like the modern oh, day yes, soap so, opera. Yes, 100%. we love. Like, so I don't love reality oh, yeah, shows so. that just have like I've watched some of them, but like that just have you know each episode it's its own kind of encapsulation. Mm-hmm. I like a storyline. Like, I want a series storyline. I want to be keeping up with somebody's. It doesn't matter. Which is just how. It's great. I think it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Days of Our Lives was the same way. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when everybody used to watch that, like, prior to the rise of reality TV, our moms or grandmas or whatever watched those shows if they did. Jake talks about days all he watched it with his grandma all the time. Yeah. I mean, when Marlena got possessed. Oh, he's still talking. I didn't get into day, but. He went into a very, very, yes, yes. He still he still refers, like when people cry on camera, he will rate it to see if anyone is as good a crier as Marlena was. <laughs> he said, because he still says that no one is a better crier than her on television ever. Well, I mean, it's a thing that you're attached to. Yeah. And I honestly, even though, like the generations before us knew it was stupid. We knew soap operas were stupid. Yeah. We know reality TV is stupid. And there's still some part of us that feeds it i think i think if you know because he watched days of our lives and then he got into passions and so i don't know if you went down to passions world but (laughs) passions was pure truly camp it really was wasn't it like making fun it was almost yeah it was almost you know like the woman i forget her name she was Haley mills sister or is Haley mills sister played a witch on the show and like her name was Tabitha. Like, they didn't even try. Like, <laughs> like her name was Tabitha the Witch. And she had, like, a little person who was, like, kind of her sidekick, who did spells with her. I mean, and, like, at one point, I don't know if they did a musical episode, but it wasn't even a musical episode. It was, like, a regular episode of the soap opera. And the woman who starred in the show was sitting there and she was sad. She just stood up and started singing by a window and did a whole song in a regular episode. And so, but I feel like what's the difference of if we compare that to Housewives and like we could do dissertations on this, I get so into it. But it's that was, it felt a little weird because you're like, wait, okay, so this show's a little different. And it's, it's almost like suspending reality. Whereas on Housewives, we know some of there's they are suspend they live in a world of suspended reality, but because it's quote a reality show, there's a part of us that wants to believe it's real, mm. and that's where we get invested in it because that it, where it hooks us. I think a little bit different than soap operas. Mm. I, that's a good point. Yeah, that is a really good point. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. 
Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U, Y-O-U. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com, and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Well, let's back it up then to actual real in reality shows. Mm-hmm. Did you start with the real world like yes. most of us did? Yes, 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 yes. Well, we're the same age. And so it was, again, one of the first gay people I ever saw was on the real world. Oh, right. Yeah, and which goes to kind of, I remember, that that's a difference when I talk about like L.A. was really a place for me to explore being myself. I remember all my family they were luckily I had a very supportive family. I came out like from the get go. They were all like, we love you. And like, as my cousin Kelly said, she said, honey, I knew Jesus made you gay when you were two years old, when you took the clothes off the GI Joes and said they looked better. I knew. So like that's luckily the family I grew up in. So I never felt that, but around me, but what they were worried about when I came out as gay, they went, Oh God, you're going to get AIDS and die. Like that was kind of, what their fear was because that were the only kind of messages we were getting in television period. And so, or things like that, or they thought I wanted to being gay was conflated a lot with being trans. And so they would say, are you going to dress as a woman now? And it was like, no. And so thank, it's so much easier to come out now in life. But I, I, anyway, I, where I go with that is I think that real world was pivotal in that because Especially those first seasons. That was just a momentous... It was just unlike... It. I'm actually friends with Karamo, who's on Queer Eye. We knew each other from counseling days. And I'm, we've talked about him, his experience on Real real World and what that was for him. And it was... Even back then, it was... You know, he said it was different. It was really just them putting up cameras and filming us. There was no storylines. There was nothing scripted. It was just us being ourselves and reacting to human to human 
Well, it was fascinating. Yeah. In a way that it's hard to comprehend now because, you know, with social media, we're all our own little real worlds, if you will. Yeah. (laughs) And then we are so used to, like as viewers, the way that we watch reality TV now, we're so used to it being mostly fake or manipulated, Mm -hmm. contrived. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they get people drunk and then put them in a room knowing that they're going to say something inflammatory so that they'll fight. Like, and we're so used to watching TV in that way now, but in the real world days, when those early seasons, like you said, it was truly like, we're just going to put people in a house and turn the camera on. And I loved it from minute one. So you got into like season one. Season one. I yeah. still think of Julie right now. I, I was literally about to say I wanted to be Julie. <laughs> me too. And yeah. she was a normal person, or it felt like to me. And also, at that time in my life, maybe all times in my life, but especially then, I really wanted to be seen. Yeah. I didn't necessarily want to be famous. I've never been a performer. Mm-hmm. I wanted to feel validated. Validated that you matter. Yeah. And I felt like when I saw the real world, I honestly thought that that was an avenue to be seen. For someone Mm. to finally see me was if it was... Did you audition for it ever? On camera. Jake did. My podcast, he did. Well, I have never showed us publicly. (gasps) (laughs) I, in college, sent in a real world audition tape. It never went anywhere. I never got a call back. Nothing but ever you happened. Did it. I remember making it. I remember asking my college friend Sarah to this like was at OU. This was at OU, and like I, we went out onto you know the lawn. We were like outside, and I asked her to film it. I'm trying to think what did we film it on. We didn't have smartphones. I don't even no, remember. You filmed it on a camcorder. I guess we had a camcorder. We had a camcorder. <laughs> yes, yes. She was holding that thing on her shoulder. It wasn't little. <laughs> you owe that woman dinner. <laughs> And I don't remember, they must have given us some kind of parameters, like you had to answer questions or say mm-hmm. something. There was there was some sort of assignment to it. And I remember shooting it and sending it in and feeling like it was my shot. Yeah. And then nothing ever happened about it. And I don't, I never thought much about it afterwards because now that I look back, I feel like, oh, that was just the beginning of some things that were percolating for me, like of then wanting to... You know, eventually I moved to L.A. Of like and belonging to do something different? Of like letting the world see that I was different because mm-hmm. I had been in these spaces. This is actually not objectively true, but this is how I felt. Now I can see that it was not true. It was just my feelings. But I had been in these spaces growing up in a town that was pretty homogenous mm-hmm. and then going to a college and pledging a sorority and being part of a summer camp and all these worlds that I was a part of that I actually loved and felt a deep sense of belonging in, Mm -hmm. but it was also a lot of sameness. Yes. And I was dying to get out of that sameness. I wanted to be like, I'm different. You're different, yeah. And I think everybody feels that way. Like now I'm mature enough to realize like I wasn't that different, but I wanted to Mm. be seen that way. I don't know if everybody feels that way. I think people want to feel like they matter, but it feels like sometimes now... People, we see it now more on social people, but there's the conformist and the non-conformist. So people want to be seen, but they want to conform in a way. That's uh, how I look, was. I yeah. liked. Like now they look want to look like a Kardashian, but before. Right. Well, I meant more. I, I 
felt belonging in the sameness. Like I felt both at the same time. Like I was like, I don't, it's not that I like, don't like this. Like I had a great time. Did you feel that for you saying that you felt different? Did a part of you feel like you were betraying the community? Was it hard for you to kind of accept that? I didn't feel that I was betraying the community until I had already moved out here. I actually, at the time, because when you're 21, you're so self-focused, I actually only really cared about my own actions. And Mm -hmm. it didn't occur to me until I was somewhat down the road that I realized that moving out to L.A. and some of the language I used back then about evolving or Mm -hmm. all of these things was, in fact, probably hurtful (laughs) to Mm. people that I really loved and who loved me and Mm -hmm. that, you know, had chosen to stay in Oklahoma or who liked, like, sameness Mm -hmm. and liked belonging, which I did, too. And so I was never meaning to, like, hurt them by saying I wanted to break out of that. I can look back now and see that I wanted to have my cake and eat it, too. And that I wanted to affirm my belonging and also affirm that I was different. Yeah. Yes, you want. And yes, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Because like you close with your family, you had a good relationship. It's but it's the same. I feel very, very similar to that. And, you know, I often I think I've thought about I'll maybe I'll do it one day, but. I've always thought about doing a podcast or something about coming out stories, but not with queer people. Because I think everybody has to have a coming out in their life. Mm. And for straight people or heterosexual people, a lot that are especially cisgendered, sometimes those moments of coming out, like I think that's great for you that you had it in 19. I think that's what we often deem as, in a negative way, a quote, midlife crisis. Is that these people have to come out about something in their life that they, I was for, you know, I talked and it sounded like a purse flies out of my mouth. Like I was, some gay people pass. This one did not. So it, it was for me very much, I was, I had to be out and proud because there was no other choice. And so I did that a little bit too. But in a probably a more, I was so pretentious when I was in my 20 and I moved out to LA. I was like, oh, you hicks. And that, which now I don't think that at all. I'm so grateful for where I grew up and my family and community. Same. Yes, they're wonderful, wonderful people. And so, but yeah, I think that for a lot of heterosexual people, it's later in life, you know, but we all have to come out about something, whether it's career or personal and. That's is hard. the is the coming out that you're describing like a declarative statement of this is who I am? Like what's a coming out? That's a good question. I think I think it is at the core of it this is who I am or this is who I am or this is who I'm meant to be. Because sometimes we don't know who we are. We just know I'm not far into it right now, but I'm reading this book by her name she's the woman who wrote quiet and she has this book called bittersweet susan kane susan kane so i'm reading that book bittersweet right now and i'm not far into it so it's all about how like our desire for longing and sadness actually makes us whole and so she's talking now just kind of about how like people listening to sad songs and romantic comedies like the yearning that we look for and so i think about that and coming out sometimes we don't know who we are but we we see a movie or we see a housewife, or we see someone, 
and we a part of us goes I want that or that that feels like me and when we see those then that begins that that churning and the yearning for something different and I think that's kind of a lot of people I think you're lucky if you get to a place in your life where you know this is who I am mm. a lot of people I think sadly live in that life of I know I'm meant to be something this isn't it but I don't know what it is and that's heartbreaking to me do you think we see that more people see that more like it's easier to see it in a reality based show versus a scripted one because it's real even if I say real in quotes even though we know we're being manipulated but is it is it, their real life it is their life and it, it is who that person is yeah, like Lisa Renna or whatever decides that I'm going to be a villain. I'm People are going to see me as that. And it is how she gets perceived in the world. It might not be her home life, but it's her life. And from a representation matters point of view, I'm asking you, do you think it carries more weight or it feels like more of an aha moment when you saw that like on the the guy on Real World versus when you saw Jack on what's, on Will and Grace on Will and Grace like do you, is it does it feel different from a reality show versus a scripted show? I'm going to say no because for me at least because I, it's interesting as a, as a young person and I think maybe it's aspirational but I related much more to Will. Mm. Now later in life I'm like. I'm 100% Jack, like 100%. That is me. But I think at the time, it was this, I've said this on the podcast before. It was this, I think this idea, so like I told you, I used to watch a lot of Oprah when I was a kid. And I remember watching the Oprah with Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. And they were selling, celebrating like 20 years of islands in the stream. And before Dolly came out, Oprah asked Kenny, I, I remember this because I used to record Oprah every day and I'd sit on our fireplace and act like I was Oprah asking questions like I'm a nerd. But I remember, though, watching this and she said, Kenny, why do people love Dolly Parton so much? Why is she so beloved by everyone? And Kenny said, I think that when we are born, he said, as humans, he said, I think we have three distinct parts of ourselves. We have the person we really are the person we think we show people and then the person that people actually see. So he said, for me, I feel like as humans, our goal in life is to decipher those three parts of ourselves and try to intertwine them as much as possible. So that way we, we are the person people see. We know that person. And he said, Dolly Parton, more than anyone I've ever met in my life, is those three parts of those that are so close together and aligned. Mm. And that was a moment for me. And so when I'm talking about like coming out, I think a lot of people fight with that, fight with, I'm really this person, but I have so much expecta- expectation on myself to be, these people see me at this pers- as this person and I have to be person C when I know I'm person A. And I think, and then, and then that tug and pull creates that person you think you're showing people, but all of us watching are like going, girl, that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. And so that's just, so I feel like in the reality TV scope, it's that we watch these women, primarily these women living these larger than life lives. And we wonder, a part of us wonders like, is that who they really are? 
Is that their real life? Is it all play? Could my life be that way? Mm-hmm. It's so it's there's this weirdly aspirational quality to it. There, that's a huge piece. What you just said, could my life be that way? Because I think no matter what reality show it is, from like Survivor, you know, to whatever Project Runway, yeah, love anything. Pro- I love a competition <laughs> show. I love. I was a big Project Runway for the first years. We're, we love to project. How would I handle this situation? How would I have done mm-hmm. this? What if this were me? How would I be in this competition or in this drama? Mm-hmm. Or if I had to look like this? It's like play acting, but sort of in a healthy ish way. Yes. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. So it's not that we want to be the people on the screen literally, because I think a lot of us would struggle with. With that, I think it takes a very particular personality to actually make it through the reality TV show Gauntlet. But as viewers, we like to put ourselves in that position of like, how would I strategize myself on Big Brother? How yeah. would I like we it's a way it exercises a certain muscle that yeah. we like actually don't get any other way. No, we don't get any other way. No, that's so true. It's like as you're talking, I'm like, oh, you're right, because I love HGTV because it's it's kind of. Reality TV used to be mindless for me. Now it's my job. And I love it. And it's my job. So now I find myself watching a lot of HGTV. Like, I love Hometown. I love Ben and Aaron. I do all. But when I'm watching this, suddenly I'm a house designer. Like, suddenly I know, oh, they need to put a beam there. Because if you're going to tear that wall, it's structural. Like, I know all this stuff that I've... I mean, my father was a house builder. And so... I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm like, I can walk in somebody's house and be like, move this over here, da, 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 da. And I'm just a little Miss Designer. Do we watch these shows because is it such a present moment? It's not past, it's not future. But for that moment, are we? A, do we feel like we could be a housewife? Yes. While we're watching in that moment. And then you set it and forget it. And you don't really think about. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna care as much about my bath as Meredith Marks does in real life. But for this moment, I care about. You know. And because we all value our taste, we all think we have good taste. This mm-hmm. is like a universal human quality. And so the HGTV one is good because we feel like, oh, I would have done that better. Mm-hmm. I would have dressed better. I would have decorated that room better. I would have judged this voice competition better. Like, I know. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, trying on kind of personalities. We sort of talked about this in terms of moving to L.A. And it is a very microcosm version of that when you are watching to be like, oh, no, that looks terrible. Yes. Well, obviously, somebody (laughs) thought it looked great. Somebody with actual experience thought it looked great. And you just, in three seconds, just completely, yes. But we don't actually have to go through the work of designing a house or doing all of those things. We can literally let it flow out of our brain and go on about our day. Mm -hmm. It is like adults playing with dolls. Yeah, it's an adult sandbox. Yes. I really think, I never heard it described, but it is play. Now, I do want to share this part of my story that I don't talk about publicly very often, not because it's um, all that private, but because at this point, it's 15 years in the rear view. I love it. But I worked in reality TV for years. Oh. And so I think that that definitely taints the way I watch TV and just my general feelings about it. Now, it's so funny that we keep saying reality TV, and even I'm going to title this episode about reality TV. That is such a broad... It's the biggest umbrella. It's the... Because, you know, drama is drama. Comedy, although some shows now, like, 
dramedies. The bear is considered a comedy, and I'm like, how is this? I think they do it just for award season. It, it irks me a little bit. But think about this. In the, in the umbrella of reality TV is RuPaul's and Duck Dynasty. And then Indian matchmaking and Love is Blind and then just Married at First Sight. Like all of this, it's such a huge umbrella that it it's like I remember one of my favorite shows. It was on Discovery Plus. I think it's off now, but it was Jake and I loved it. We covered it. It was called Pig Royalty. And it was just about a family in Texas who showed pigs. And then you find out that there was like this Hatfields and McCoy of two families that were rival pig showers and were competing very viciously against one another. And it was great. It was like one of the girls, they showed pigs with just, they would wear leopard bling when they show pigs. And there was a pig judge, a man wearing male cowboy clothes, but with a full beat face of makeup and bright eyeshadow and fake eyelashes in the middle of like San Antonio. It was perfect. (laughs) So that show is like also the same as my husband makes technically reality shows, Jackass. Yeah. Yes. How are those? Like- yeah, probably didn't expect this comparison. But I think Jackass and the Housewives actually have something so in common. Where Housewives is like, you know, 90%, 95% women and gay men who watch that show. Where Jackass is decidedly like very, very male. But it's the same way. Why my brother and... Well, I, even, I like Jackass too. And I'm just saying that. But because you go, would I do that? Yes. Would I actually be, could I do that? Not even would I, but also could I do it? Could I be shot out of a cannon like that? Because, you know, it, I think it all harkens back to, like, I'm super excited about that movie about the, the Von Erics that's coming out, Iron Claw. The, mm. uh, and because I wanted to be a wrestler, you know, when I was a little boy and you saw that. Probably for different reasons, because they were basically in underwear rubbing each other's bodies. But still, my brother and I both love wrestling for different reasons. But I would say that the same reason somebody watched Jackass is the same reason why they watch The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I mean, you're you're not wrong. There are some similarities in that, like, if I am watching The Real Housewives for some eye candy of just, like, seeing what they're wearing, where they're eating, you know, whatever, that a guy can sometimes watch Jackass to, like, there's some athleticism and there's, mm-hmm. like, some funniness and there's mm-hmm. some drama and there's, some, you know, like, it's not that different. You're right in, mm-hmm. in certain ways. Quick break to make sure that you know it's that time of year again for my annual Not a Gift Guide gift guide. With the internet full of gift guides to help you shop for other people, I have created a list of things that you might just want for yourself. Because listen, I know how it works. You buy everything for everyone else, and you are the last to get something special under the tree. Well, no more. My Not a Gift Guide gift guide will give you dozens of ideas for you to splurge on for yourself or to pass along to that certain someone who might need some help choosing the perfect present for you this holiday season. My Not a Gift Guide gift guide is basically a list of my favorite things of the year. Everything from beauty and style recommendations to home items, even my favorite apps and techie stuff. The Not a Gift Guide gift guide is free and it is available the entire holiday season. In order to get the free full version of my Not a Gift Guide gift guide, you have to be on my secret post newsletter list. The guide only goes out to newsletter subscribers. 
Now, if you already get my Secret Post newsletter, then keep an eye on your inbox the week of Thanksgiving. Otherwise, you can sign up to receive this year's Not a Gift Guide gift guide for free by going to lauratremaine.com slash gift guide. That's lauratremaine.com slash gift guide. Don't miss this year's edition of the free Not a Gift Guide gift guide. You know you want to treat yourself to something special. And now, back to the show. Okay, but what I, what I was going to say about working in reality TV. So I worked on a variety of different types of shows. I worked on... I wanted to ask, but I didn't want to put you on the spot and tell. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I this is like public knowledge. I, I worked on... Fox had a show called Nanny 911 that was oh, one of yeah. those nanny yeah. shows where they came in and like fixed the family mm-hmm. in 60 minutes. I worked on a show for VH1 where... People thought that they were test driving a car, but then music would come on and we're trying to catch them singing. It was just like a silly, like almost oh, fun. like a, a prank show, kind of. I worked on Snoop Dogg's very short-lived TV show called Doggy Fizzle Televizzle, which was, I have many stories from that. I worked awesome. on a show for the BBC. I worked, so these are all very different yeah. types of shows. I obviously met Jeff working on Jackass. So... These are all reality, very different. The final show that I worked on, reality-based. And I worked on documentaries and stuff. That's not really what we're talking about. So the final reality show that kind of did me in, to be honest, Mm -hmm. I was engaged. Jeff and I just got engaged. And I took this gig. I took like a a step down in in title because of the timings worked out like it was going to finish right before I got married, whatever. Mm. It was a show on the CW. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Where it was like a pageant show for pageant girls. And it was like a mother-daughter pageant show. So the mothers and the daughters all lived together in a house in what I now know as Calabasas. And oh, yes. Which is where the Kardashians live, if you're not local. Like out, you know, a suburb of L.A. Uh in these big, crazy mansion-y houses. The mom-daughter... And they were, it, it was a pageant show. Sorry, when Toddlers and Tiaras was doing really well, so they wanted to capitalize on that. I mean, I guess. Can it, you say the name of the show or no? It's okay if you don't remember or don't want to say. I remember. It was called Crowned. The reason that it broke me had absolutely nothing to do with the show, which the show was objectively terrible. I mean, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, not even, not a, not a good terrible. Like, oh, just, like oh, a oh, oh. pretty terrible terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But. This is this is sort of related to the Hollywood strikes that just happened that Yay, I've talked a little about. Well, now it's over, yes. Yes, but we can talk about movies. <laughs> I talked about this a little bit on the show before. I did an episode on the Hollywood strikes. But during this time, this was – so I was engaged. So this was 2006, 2007. And America's Next Top Model was the most popular Huge. reality show. Mm-hmm. And it went union. So oh. until that time, all of those shows I had worked on in almost all reality shows, the the draw for them from an industry perspective is that they were non-union. They were cheap. They were very cheap. You could work crews 16-hour days. Yep. It was a very, very cheap way to make shows. Now reality shows, I mean, they are, they are an HGTV show is substantially a sliver of what it costs to make a scripted show. So most reality shows are cheaper than scripted shows, but... Big reality shows, like some of the ones we're talking about, aren't that cheap anymore. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back then, everything that was non-scripted so was not union. just worked to the bone. So I was worked to the bone. And then when America's Top Model was the first show to go union, this was a huge like industry 
shakeup. And that was the CW show. It was a CW show. And this was also the writer's strike was about to happen. It was like a mm. lot was happening in oh, Hollywood. Yeah, 2008. Yeah, yeah. And in the middle of our production, I mean, we were shooting. We had been shooting. We had crews. We were on set. In the middle of production, we went union. <gasps> so overnight, and I was on production. So overnight, every our, everything changed. So... I mean, production has to work those same hours, but our, like, camera, sound, everything else. Did they put you in the union, or did they rehire new people? No, we just had to rehire people. Now we had to hire union crews, or our union guys who had been working this non-union gig, suddenly everything had to change. So this is – I don't want to get too into the weeds for the audience doesn't care about this part, but it was literally – it broke me as a human. That is bedlam. <laughs> I was like, that I can't. Is, yeah. I have to get out of this industry. I cannot wow. do this. This is really hard to make yeah. a stupid show that is stupid. Yes. If they, they also, if you if you don't care about it, if, you, if it's just a job, it's too much stress. I was like, I just can't. You're like, I got to get married. I'm out, y'all. <laughs> I I sorry. I got to think about my blush and bashful. Not this. Literally, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and I look back on I was like, that was actually really hard. It was also kind of a real moment in Hollywood that I feel like, oh, I was there for that. Like, I was literally living and working through that. And that was the last one I worked on. But all those other shows that I mentioned that I worked on, every piece of it, it made me realize, like, how – and this was, you know, early 2000s, so it's not even to the level we are now. Even back then, how manipulated it was. Mm. You know, that we're trying to get people to sing in the car by mm-hmm. giving them a test drive and putting their favorite song on. That, and we've obtained their favorite song from their friend who's in on the prank. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to get them to sing in the car so that we can humi- humiliate them on national television. This is a VH1 show. Y'all don't re- remember, too, like, and this is when we had shows like Joe Millionaire, The Swan. Yes. Like, just... <laughs> Horrible. Like, like ruining people's like lives. I remember the first reality show. Oh, my gosh. I this was on – I was teaching a summer camp in Western Massachusetts. I don't think that's where Jake and I became good friends. But he wasn't there that year. But all the gay men were obsessed with this show that aired on the logo called – oh, my gosh. We've talked about it on the podcast before. Not Finding Prince Charming. That was another reality show later. It was called something like a, About a Boy or something. But the whole premise of the show was – a gay man and his best, his his queer dear, his best girlfriend, were on this show together, and he was supposed to be dating like 12 eligible bachelors. Six of them were actually gay, and the other six were just pretending to be gay and were straight men that were hired as actors. And so they found out the fourth episode in that people were fake. So then the rest of the show was just him trying to figure out, am I the person I'm falling in love with gay or not? Like, horror. And, of course, it's, like, straight guys who, like, totally talk like this. And then you see them on camera, and they're like, hey, girl! And you're just like, oh, my, this is step. Now we, like, cringe. Well, right, that's because. that's what we had at the time. So this show, I'm sure you were just like, I can't. I'm I out. can't. And also it felt like, and I've thought about this then, and I think about it now, it felt like what part of this is shaping culture in a bad way? Sort of like what yeah. you were saying, like, getting <clears throat> – guys to pretend that they're gay and getting the gay guy to fall in love mm-hmm. with them that that's awful yeah it's it's awful i mean you can even look at i love housewives but housewives and especially the kardashian have changed what women literally do to their bodies the way women 
other women want to speak like this now and like are literally taking emotion and creativity from their their literal voice. I know. It's hard to even have this conversation without talking about the Kardashians. I know you've mentioned them a few you kinda times. You kind of can't. And I would try to avoid them like the plague because I wasn't a big fan of that. Sh- I just I judge that show. Now I can have respect for it because of what Momager did to that and what she took from that and made a brand. And It's changed the world. It's changed the world. Yeah, it's changed the world. Which I, is bananas. Because when it was first on, you would have never thought that show would change the world. It was like, mm-hmm. and I know that this happens in a lot of different ways in different industries that like we make fun of something that becomes a big thing. Facebook used to only be for college students and then it, you know, affected our world elections. I mean, like mm-hmm. there there yeah. are things that start out that we think are lame or dumb and then they change the world, like the Kardashians. Mm-hmm. But it it is changing I put Kardashians and, and Real Housewives, they're in the same bowl to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, mm-hmm. they're similar. Of It has changed, in some ways, I think, the way women interact. And I did not want to accept this as true. I did not. In fact, I with a dear friend, uh, the husband of a dear friend, we had a, like, full-blown argument one summer. I remember it really clearly. I was watching – I had Real Housewives on. We were at my mm-hmm. lake house. They were visiting – and he made like a snide comment about that I was watching Real Housewives. In fact, he he made kind of what we're talking about, like, well, you're such a smart person. Why are you watching this dumb show? And I took offense at it. And I like sort of started engaging in this argument with him. And he was trying to say to me that he felt like he had observed that this was changing the way women interact with each other. I got all in a tizzy about it. I was like, you are being misogynist. <laughs> like I was, you know, I was really like... I was not hearing the thoughtful point he was actually making. I was mm-hmm. really defensive and irritated by it. But it was one of those things, you know, you have those fights or you have those important conversations where you, maybe you take one stand in the moment and then later you, yeah, like, mm, <laughs> you think yeah. about it later. Mm-hmm. And I started to notice and I was like, you know, I'm a person that talks a lot about and writes about and observes friendships. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I think that regular life women are interacting in the same way that the housewives do. I don't think that. I think that the housewives are a very amped up version of anything. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the Kardashians and there is a culture of the way that women are being in the world. Mm -hmm. And it is greatly affected Mm -hmm. by this, not just changing their bodies, like you said, and plumping up their lips and, you know, buying designer everything and all of that. Not just that, but also sort of just like, a way that we walk in the world that I just don't, I do think is a little detrimental, even as I participate in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we see it on 90 Day Fiance. We'll notice with certain cast members. There's one sister, Kalani, who was, was just on The Last Resort, and she has a sister, Kalini. And we always talk, and they're very close, but we always talk I'm sorry, about, pause. Kalani and Kalini? Kalani and Kalini, yes. Okay. Uh, families from... Samoa, she dated a guy from Samoa. It's been, we just found out that she found out he was cheating on her because she got thrush. And she said, there's only one way you can get thrush. And that's from when someone has a yeast infection. And it was drama. It was like, it was one of those shows where there's so many spinoffs of 90 Day Fiance now. And I went, I'm not going to watch this. I don't have time. And then I saw that first episode. I even made a TikTok about it. And it just shows me shutting my computer and leaning in. And I watched the whole thing. It's great. It's one of my favorite spinoffs. Wait, and what's it called? The Last Resort. Okay. What I love about it is actually this group of kind of really 
just problematic just relationships and these people go and there's three actual legit they got three legit therapists and they're just doing two weeks of intensive therapy seeing if it's kind of like a make it or break it moment for these couples and it's it is fascinating and it really is we were very lucky we got invited uh, TLC invited us to the 10th anniversary party of 90 Day Fiance. Uh, it was in New York City. And we went last month and we got to meet some of these people that were on and they talked about these therapists. Like you could tell it was a, it really was real for them. They were working on their marital issues, their relationship issues, and it was hard and cathartic and painful and joy. Like it really was what we're seeing. So it just ended, but it's riveting. But these two sisters, Kalani and Kalini, they both talk like that. There's almost, I don't mean to be inflammatory when I say this word. It's just the word I think of. There's almost this castration of emotionality in women that I think comes from the Kardashians. Like, they're, like Brene Brown talks about, we were talking about this before we started recording, like, she talks about the pendulum of emotion. And if we try to mute the negative emotions in our life, what we actually end up doing is the data shows that when we experience joy or moments of exhilaration, those become muted as well because it's like working out in a muscle. And at the, if you're doing a curl and you're only doing a little curl and not the full, a personal trainer will say, do the full motion. And so an emotional trainer, which I think you and I could be labeled as emotional trainers, <laughs> we've had enough in our lives, would say, go through the full range of emotions. But I feel like, and the Kardashians participated in this, this kind of emotional castration of maybe anger, but like think about when you see them like laughing and screaming like joyously and big faces, everything's Botox now. Like we can't even see the joy on your face. And I think that's a, I think that's a detrimental thing to our culture. Mm. Yeah. I also think women... There's always been dramatic women, and I, I'm talking about women because I am a woman, and the shows that I watch are female-based. Obviously, this conversation is really big, and we can't cover the whole thing. But I, I, women have always been drama. Like, you know, it's not that women didn't fight before Real Housewives mm-hmm. fought on the screen. But it's like there's a calculation sometimes. I feel like that I wonder is being that we that we didn't used to make a calculation mm. of like, oh, this person is trying to be a vi- use the word villain earlier. Mm. Like, I, I, it's hard to explain in real life terms because obviously in real life, it's nothing like how it looks like on these screens that we're describing. But I do think that it is, it infiltrates the vibe. I'm wondering if you're talking or speaking to the idea of, I think there's reality TV and then there's a reality TV with social media because that complete I think that really changed reality TV because suddenly now these people, people in the real world, they were working with, you know, the, the network, the show you were on. They didn't have these outlets. They you had to get a PR person to do mm, press. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly these people can extend the reality of the show you're seeing with a computer in their hand. That's and right. Show you their life. And. I'm, is that a good thing? Is that a, you know, are we seeing what you're talking about? Well, one of the things that makes me think of is when we see people go through something on screen. So I mentioned earlier that I like a, a storyline. I like following mm-hmm. someone's like marriage or longtime beef with someone. Whatever. Like I li- I'll follow it through the seasons. And I like that. 
as a viewer. There are also examples and that happens in reality TV across a lot of different types of shows, except for maybe not competition shows, where we get to see in real time someone like, here's an example, like they say something problematic. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get like canceled or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not excusing anybody's problematic beliefs that they said on camera, but it is really wild to watch like the pitchforks of America come out after someone who said something ignorant, who had a bad moment, Mm -hmm. who was wasted. Again, not excusing anybody's problematic behavior, but the zeal that we take as a culture in like taking somebody down because of their misstep is wild. It's wild. It's wild. And it's Jake, my podcast where he calls it, and I agree, he calls it, we have a problem with whataboutism in a culture that something we're trying to, somebody goes on and they're trying to talk about something or, but then we, we bring in our own, well, we'll bring in something that has nothing to do. They'll be talking about women's rights and somebody brings in like, well, but what about Black Lives Matter? Well, those are two separate things. Like let's, and so there's that combined with this idea of no room for no room for growth, no room for curiosity. And there's a difference of someone saying, calling someone the N-word. Or like, of course, we just found out like somebody on 90 Day Fiance, like his Halloween costume like five years ago was a Nazi. Full stop. Those kind of conversation, like, you know, as my grandma Hazel would say, you know better. But then other things, when people say something that is done with the intention of innocence or the intention of sometimes even helping people say things and they just the pitchforks come out and what that does is and i know as someone that's public it dampens my curiosity in things because as a white man there's a lot of things i haven't experienced but i'm even terrified to ask because i'm afraid just by asking Mm. for clarity or just a curiosity that that'll get squashed yeah yeah and again, oh, the poor plight of white men. I get it. Like, I'm not complaining. Like, it's, so I don't mean it in that way. I just, but I do think, especially for women, I think women get judged way more than men do in that regard. Yeah, I think what we're talking about in this in this part is all like how it's affected our culture and the cancel culture piece of it is huge. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is stemmed from, quote unquote, reality, <laughs> television. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like, And there are a lot of these issues that are very intertwined. Social media, like you mentioned, and celebrity culture really changing. Like celebrity culture, you know, it used to be like actors who you didn't know anything else about their life except what their publicist put forward. Like Mm -hmm. let's say Tom Cruise. We Mm -hmm. all thought Tom Cruise was a certain type of person that we made assumptions about for a long time. And then suddenly now the biggest celebrities in the world are reality TV stars Mm -hmm. or people on social media or who can give their own version of the story or who can control their own narrative until they can't, of course. Mm -hmm. Like all of these issues, the culture issues, the social media, the, you know, aspirations that I mean, if like we've touched on a lot of things, they're all really intertwined. And it's definitely like changing the way we live. And yeah, in good and bad ways. Like, we would no way have the diversity we have in television right now if it was not for reality TV. Full stop. Oh, wait, say more about that. Because I think that's where we first started seeing, like we talked about with Real World, that's where we first started seeing gay people. That's where suddenly now 
black women, black people, people of color started becoming stars on these reality shows, loving hip hop, things like this, and getting not just emotional capital, but social capital. And then advertisers seeing, oh, this person can sell my product. Whereas before I would have hired the white blonde guy to do it, I'm going to hire Snoop Dogg to do it. Would we ever think that mm. Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart would be doing something together? <laughs> no, that I think that is specific. That only happened because of reality TV. Because I do think reality TV, and still is often, on the forefront of storytelling in narratives. I do think that good reality TV is telling stories that sometimes either come later to fiction or aren't fleshed out in a human way. Define for you good reality TV to bad reality TV. I think, one word, authenticity. If I'm watching a reality show and I feel like even if it's hyped up, if the person and the characters and the story do not feel authentic and believable, then I'm out. Then it's just, it's hard for me to get invested in that. And because the housewives, I would argue, whether they're, they all need to have Oscars or Emmys for acting, you believe what they're living. You believe that. And when you don't believe that, you get those just really bad, it feels, we call it fraudacity. It's just these fake reality shows and you don't care. Is it the participants, like the people in the reality show that feels fake to you? Or is it like production, the premise, the producing? I think both. The- Give you an example like Love is Blind. We cover Love is Blind. We talk about it on our Patreon. It's season four. Last season of Love is Blind was by far the best season of Love is Blind. Have you watched the show? No. It's it. It's the premise of the show for people that haven't watched is you meet someone through a wall. You never see what they look like. You only hear their voice. Oh, right, right. You talk to them as Vanessa Lachey says, is love blind? And so that's the premise of the show. And season one, great. Season four, fantastic. It was really about, it brought up things about men, women, race, socioeconomic. It really brought up a lot of these issues. This season, season five, was just a hot mess. And we found out, like, two people that were there had actually dated before. And you thought, then it became, the rumors went wild. Are they, did they know this before? Did they come on the show together? Like, so it it kind of pulled back the curtain of authenticity. And I blame production for that because they knew that when they cast these people and then also... The way they did the reunion, the way they edited the show was to, I think from a production, you're, you're in a bad spot. And I'm sure that you could speak to this and I'm sure that your husband could talk to this as well. When you start editing a reality show to protect the integrity of a show, instead of telling the true story, Mm. you're done, you're done. And you see, we saw that in this season of Love is Blind. And I think in some reality shows, you see that. That And that authenticity isn't there. And I think the characters didn't have authenticity, too. But I think you have to put both to have a really good reality show. I feel like we could talk about this for literally hours. Hours, girl. Because the more that you say, the more I think about in terms of, like, things that are good that have come out of reality TV, of 
of representation, like you talked about, like maybe our houses all look better after the HGTV maybe. revolution. That's true. Maybe we rise up. To, maybe. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, you Thank know. Thank you, JoJo. The Golden Bachelor, which I don't watch, but oh, it's getting. Oh, we watch it. We're covering. We love it. It's getting a lot of kudos for like covering, you know, that stage of. Love and in that show, what's a, that's a great comparison. Where sometimes a bachelor feels fake. I do. I pop in and out of the bachelor. It depends on the season, but the bachelor feels so fake to me and so overproduced and so Disney fairy tale. Bleh, but I still like if I let's be honest. If I think the guys are hot, I'll watch. But whereas Golden Bachelor, like the hometowns where they went to go meet the family, it was so much more stressful. Because before, they're 20 years old and their parents don't like them. Who cares? They can move across the country where that person lives. But the Golden Bachelor, oh, you're in love with this guy who lives in Indiana, but you live in Washington. You both see your grandkids every day. You have a family. You Mm -hmm. have a life. You have your community here. But you feel like this is your, because of your age, you're 70, you feel like this is your last shot of love. The stakes are so high. Like I'm tense now just talking about it. It's so well done. I, I know they're going to continue because it was the highest rated thing for Hulu, I think. So they're definitely going to do the Golden Bachelorette, and we're here for it. Well, I, th- I do think that's like a positive turn on a franchise that may be. That's a different. I think that's a good example, though, of authenticity and then people that just want to be reality stars. They're 20 years and they don't they don't care. Yeah. And then, yeah, which is a, which is the other thing we didn't even talk about that really matters. Girl, of give like... me a glass of Chardonnay and I'll be here all night. <laughs> Of people who come on trying to be famous. I can't believe we didn't even mention Scandaval because, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you, you know, that I do believe was a, a real situation gone real awry. Real, I real awry. That I, that was Jake. I People are going to be terrible because he went to. So our friends watch what's crappens did a live show. And the woman, I forget her name, the woman he cheated on her with. Our, Ariana. Ariana. Was there. Jake sat beside her. And this was like three days before all of that leaked. And he talked to her and had a conversation with her. And she's like, how are you doing? And she was, he said, I know she's not that good of an actor. Yeah, she didn't know. And he said, she was like, oh, we're great. We're doing good. And she was just, he said, so when that kind of, he's like, I felt like I a friend had just been cheated on. And you could see that she was just gutted. Okay, that's another piece of it. <laughs> I'm never leaving sugar. <laughs> we feel like our friend just got cheated on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or we feel betrayed when something happens. Mm-hmm. Or we feel like that's not how I would handle it. Or that's not how she should have handled it. And mm-hmm. she's better than that. Or all these all these things and all these mm-hmm. different shows and ways in which we have a parasocial relationship with some of these, you know. And yeah, that's not a day fiance because it's people we call them we always say they're lonely hearts looking for love. And yes, some of these stories are really dramatic and really extreme, but we go, Oh, I kind of acted that way when I was dating that one guy and I was really into him and I was probably too needy and a little da da da. You see yourselves in this person mm. that's doing this in an extreme version. It actually made me now that I'm single now, it's definitely, and my podcast part is talking, it's changed the way we dated oh. from watching these shows. Because we see, basically, like, the universe sends you signals of changing your life. It taps you on the shoulder. It whispers. Well, 90 Day Fiance is just a full-on screaming of people with 
really bad dating habits. Because let's be honest, they don't put the successful shows on the show or relationships on the show. They put the hot messes of the hottest messes. But you see that and you can't help but see yourself in in those people. Like I we love Darcy and Stacy. They're the ones, the twins that get all the plastic surgery and they talk like this. They're great. Everything's a hashtag, you know, they're like hashtag silver. They're great. But I mean, I look at Dar- Darcy and her kind of love addiction and the way she throws herself at men and the way that she takes very little because she feels like she, that's what she deserves. And when my relationship ended and I started even thinking about dating again, if I'm, I'm not yet, if I'm going to date again, but also processing my past relationship, I go, oh, man, I'm a Darcy. Mm. I see myself in her. It might not be to that the universe screaming at me, but I could get there. And I wonder when we watch these housewife shows, if you go, I probably wouldn't get that way because my family's watching or my grandma might find out, but I could. Yeah. I mean, and it does teach us in some ways. I like walk down the road earlier in this conversation of like, is it changing our culture for the worse? But maybe there are, as you've like outlined a few ways that it is changing us for the better. It's moving us along Mm -hmm. down the road. Have you learned from the housewives? Have you feel like you've learned anything? You could say no. I mean, I'm sure I have. I haven't like examined it that deeply. I do feel like. One of the people on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Dorit, she experienced a home invasion. Yeah. And I experienced a home invasion. Oh, that's horrible. And she had a much, much more dramatic situation than mine was. So mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not comparing our exact situations, but just her processing through the trauma of it mm-hmm. on television, I felt like was really beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. I've seen multiple housewives across different, you know, New York, Dallas, Atlanta start like therapy and they've talked about therapy journeys and some men- just mental health stuff whenever mm-hmm. they talk about that on Real Housewives. I feel like I feel grateful that they talk about that on a show that is otherwise sort of silly and mm-hmm. whatever that these moments, there will be moments where mm-hmm. I do feel like, oh, this is this maybe this is moving us along. Erasing a taboo to talk about no, it. Oh, I had that experience with. Was it? I can't remember the documentary. I'm the worst of my. Was it? Was there a documentary about Lindsay Lohan a couple of years ago? Was there? Maybe. I don't remember who it was about. But basically, she was talking about Paris Hilton moved out of her house because she had a home invasion, and we had one too. Like when I lived with Jake, someone crawled over his bed in the middle. I won't get into details because I don't want to trigger people. But it was. We woke up and someone was running out of our house with stuff. So it wasn't, again, like it wasn't level of hers. But I always kind of judged Paris Hilton. And then I, after that, I kind of Googled her talking about it. And it talked about like how she testified and all that. And it humanized her in a way to me. And I completely think differently about her than I ever thought before. And I have, I think it does build what we hope from all of these shows is that we have connection mm. and not sympathy, but actual empathy with these people. Yeah. Well, this has been so fun. Like I said, we literally, we could do this. We could do our own spinoff show on just this topic. <laughs> this was we so could. good. We, it would just be reality TV and Oklahoma stories. <laughs> I mean, I'd pay for it. I yeah. would. We'd have to have Queso and Dr. Pepper at every episode. <laughs> yes. 
Thank you for having me on. This was amazing, Matt. Thank you for being here. Listeners, I will link to every place that you can find Matt on the interwebs and on his podcast because I know you're going to want to follow him after hearing us. Thanks for being here. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening. 